Man, I got to tell you, it is good to be here today in this beautiful church. As Father Gahan said, there are about, what, 10 of us here? Uh, and I have never preached in a church with 10 people, but I will tell you that uh, you all know this, members of Christ Church. This place is extraordinarily beautiful. And, you know, whether there are 10 here or 200, the Spirit is absolutely here. And so I appreciate Father Gahan's invitation to be here today. As he said uh, during his announcements, filled with all of those wonderful jokes, um, I have known him for 20 years of my life as he served as rector of St. Stephen's Beaumont, my home parish. I served on his staff. Uh, Father Gahan mentored me all through the discernment process to the priesthood, and then uh, when I became a priest, he continued to mentor me and, and still is one of the best friends I have in this world. And so you all know how blessed you are to have a leader uh, like Patrick Gahan. I will also tell you that practically everything that I know about preaching, I learned from him. So when I'm done today, if you think to yourself, what in the world was that he just did? You can, you can blame the man sitting right there. But again, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I want to tell you just a little bit about me. I will tell you that for, for most of my adult life, I have exercised on a regular basis. I'm 55 years old now, and I've, I think I've done just about all of it. I've, I've lifted heavy weights. I've played tennis. I've played racquetball, basketball. Man, I go to the gym, all these kinds of things. i played disc golf, regular golf. Never hit a hole in one, by the way. But we moved to San Antonio, my family and I, Ellen and Lorenzo, we moved here last March. When we moved to San Antonio, I discovered my thing. Like I found my favorite way to exercise. It's like it's my groove, you know? When we moved to San Antonio, I discovered Orange Theory Fitness, high-intensity interval training. Now, if you go to the studio where I go, 281 North in the Stone Oak area, by the way, please note I said studio, not gym. <laughs> when you walk into the studio, there's a, there's a lobby, and there's a glass wall you can see inside. And so when you walk into the studio, if you look to the far wall, there are 13 treadmills all in a line. They are equipped with something called a flex deck, which is like running on air. About seven, eight feet behind the treadmills, there's a row of 13 water rowers. You sit in the water rower, and you, it, it, it simulates you know, rowing in the water. Around the corner from all of that, there are 13 individual stations that have dumbbells, and sometimes there's weight benches. There's these things attached to the wall called TRX straps, where you can do your body weight movements. You do push-ups there and burpees and all those wonderful things. And so when you, are, when you are in the studio working out, you wear a heart rate monitor on your arm. And there are, there are flat screen monitors all, all around the studio, okay, so that you can, you can monitor your progress and your heart rate through the whole workout because on the TV monitors, every participant has a little square. It's probably about this big. The little square will tell you your heart rate at any given time. It'll tell you the number of calories that you've burned. It will tell you the percentage of your maximum heart rate at any time so you can monitor your progress. Now, 
You'll notice if you walk into an Orange Theory studio while we're all working out and you see those monitors, you'll see all the little squares with our names on it and you'll see that they're all different colors. So like if you're on the treadmill, for instance, you get about 60 minutes total at Orange Theory, full body workout. You spend about 25 minutes on the treadmill. It's like torture, but that's another story for another day. But when you're on the treadmill, for instance, you look at your square, well, at first, your square is gray. It's in gray in color. You're in the gray zone. Now, now the gray zone is like when you walk into the studio and your little square pops up. You're in the gray. You're not really doing anything much. You know, you're just, you're just kind of, you're just kind of getting in the groove, you know, getting ready to work out. But then we start our warm-up. And when you're warming up on the tread, it doesn't take you long for your square to move to the blue zone. Now, the blue zone is the warm-up. See, now you're starting to feel it. You know, a little bit, you know, you're kind of getting in the groove. And then, and, and then after about a five-minute warm-up, well, that's when the coaches start coaching you through your 25 minutes on the treadmill. Well, and then you're going to notice that your square is going to move to the green zone. Now, that's the cardio zone. See, they call that push pace on the treadmill. See, now you're starting to feel your heart beat a little bit. You're starting to perspire. You know, you can probably hold a conversation with somebody, but it's starting to get a little bit more difficult. Well, then, well, then, about halfway through, that's when the workout starts ramping up, and that's when you'll find your square turning to the orange. That's where the magic happens. The orange zone. This means that you're using 84% or more of your maximum heart rate, and I'm telling you, that's when you're... I mean, you're starting to, you're really starting to feel it now. And the coaches are telling you to turn that treadmill up higher. They're telling you to raise that incline even higher. And man, you can't hold a conversation with anybody anymore. And you can just see the sweat pouring off of you. And now you're starting to have that thought. I think I should turn this thing down. They're telling me to turn it up. I think I might turn it down. But you don't because you're in the orange zone. Orange theory says that if you spend 12 minutes total of those 60 minutes in the orange zone, you will experience something called the afterburn. And that means that you will continue to, this is what they say, you will continue to burn calories from that workout up to 36 hours after you walk out of that gym. So that's where you want to be, is the orange zone. God forbid you move to the red zone. Now, the red zone means you're approaching 100% of your maximum heart rate, and you're gasping for air, and you feel like you're about to die, and you just want to shut the thing down and lay down on the carpet. Doesn't that sound like fun? I was reading the book by the creator of Orange Theory. Her name is Ellen Latham. And she, she wrote about the theory behind Orange Theory. I wanted to know to get the maximum amount of benefit from this thing. And so I'm reading it, and yes, okay, Ellen Latham says that Orange Theory is all about getting in cardio shape. It's all about being in the best shape of your life and feeling really good about who you are and where you are in life. It's about losing weight. But the foundation of the whole thing the thing that underlies Orange Theory, according to its creator, Ellen Latham, is this. They want you to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Man, 
when you're, because all you have to do is just reach for the button that's less than arm's length and start turning that thing down, even though they're telling you, run as fast as you can, all out for one minute, and you are so uncomfortable. But no, to get the maximum benefit, you must become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Why do we do this? Why do all 30 of us get up at 5.15 in the morning to be at that studio at 6.15 torturing ourselves and gasping for breath sometimes? Why do we want to be comfortable with being uncomfortable? Well, I think there's really just one reason when you think about it, because we know it brings life. It brings life. That's why we bother. That's why we do it. I am honored to be here today for lots of reasons, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that I was invited to be here on Pentecost Sunday because this is the Sunday when we remember that profound moment when the disciples received the Holy Spirit. And we know that the disciples were gathered together in an upper room in Jerusalem. Jesus had told them after he was raised from the dead and began to appear to his disciples, and he told them to go and to wait in an upper room, because if they did that, then they were going to receive the Holy Spirit, their guide and their, their counselor, their comforter, their power. Like that song y'all so beautifully sang a while ago, they were going to receive their power. Now, the Scriptures tell us that on what we now call Pentecost, on that day, the disciples were in the upper room. And it says that there came this mighty rush of wind. It was like gale force, man. I mean, it just came through the room, and it was so powerful that it left tongues of fire over the disciples' heads. And I don't really know what that means theologically, but I'm telling you, that sounds pretty powerful to me. One of those disciples, Peter, after receiving the Holy Spirit, he just sort of stepped up, and he walked right out the door. Big crowd of people had gathered there around the place where that upper room was because, well, that Holy Spirit had caused quite a commotion. There were some unusual things happening to the people out there, so big crowd of people comes. And Peter steps out there, and he begins to preach, knowing that there were people in the crowd who, who may be hostile to his message. Maybe there were people out there in the crowd who, who had called for the crucifixion of Jesus days before. Crucify him! Crucify him! You know the other thing about Peter, I don't, now maybe, now, now Father Gahan can correct me on this, I don't know, but I don't remember anywhere in the Gospels where it says that while Jesus was alive and the disciples were following him around, I don't remember anywhere where it says that Peter got up and preached a sermon. Or where he stood on a mountaintop there with Jesus and he started to, he helped him teach. If I remember correctly, out of the 12 disciples, Peter seems to be the one that doesn't get it all the time. Peter seems the one that like talks off the top of his head and doesn't understand things maybe like the other ones do. You know, out of all of them, I'd say Peter was probably the less theologically thinking one of all of them. And yet, upon receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter stepped out there and did the thing that must have provoked great anxiety 
It must have provoked fear. It was, it was not the comfortable thing. It was the uncomfortable thing. Oh, and by the way, when Peter finished his message, the Scriptures tell us that 3,000 people were baptized that day. And as the disciples would continue in their ministry, remember what Jesus told them? He told them what to do with the Holy Spirit. He did, didn't he? He said, well, I want you to go out to all nations and I want you to preach, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach everybody the same things that I have taught you. And that's exactly what the disciples would do. Sometimes they would be put in prison and in chains. They were preaching in places that were hostile to the gospel. Goodness knows when they followed Jesus for three years. They were, they, they were witnessing things and seeing things that were remarkable, but still doing things that made them uncomfortable and fearful and uncertain. And why did they even bother? Why did Peter step out there? Why did he risk it all? Why did the disciples do that? Because I think they must have understood something from the moment that they followed Jesus, the moment they began to follow him. They knew that in order to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, they were going to have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because they know, they knew that it would bring life. It brings life. I don't know you all very well, but my guess is that you who are members of Christ Church and those of you who may be watching online, you, the, the, the great majority of us are not going to be preaching the gospel in places where our lives are going to be in danger. Now maybe some of you will be called to do that one day, but I'm guessing that the majority of us will not, will not be in danger because of what we believe. But our task, our calling, those of us who are filled with the same Holy Spirit, is difficult nonetheless. Oh man, I'm telling you, one of my favorite things that Jesus said, one of my favorite things was when he said this, you know what, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. You love the people who disagree with your politics. You love the people who cut you off in traffic. You love the people who trash you on social media or talk about you behind your back. Some of y'all are smiling right now, see, because you know. It's far easier to hate, or I should say, it's far easier not to love. That's the comfortable thing. But what is uncomfortable is to love them in the way that you love yourself. I know because of who your rector is and your amazing leaders who are sitting out here in, in front of me, I know that at Christ Church San Antonio that you all are doing Bible studies and I know that you all talk about discipleship, don't you? You probably have discipleship classes and in those classes you all learn and, and, you, and, and, you, and you talk and you have conversations about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and if you, if you, if you know anything about that at all, my guess is, is that you're beginning to come to the understanding that Jesus asked us 
has to do the hard thing most of the time. Jesus asks us to do the uncomfortable thing most of the time. And why do we even bother? Why do we try so hard as believers in Jesus Christ, members of Christ Church San Antonio, or wherever it is that you go to church, why do we continue to, to search our hearts to find ways that we can we, we give and we give and now we're going to find ways to give more. How, why is it that we spend so much time prayerfully discerning? We're, we're serving and serving. How can I serve more? Why is it that we get up and we come to worship when we're able, even if we don't always feel like it? Why is it that we are always discerning how we can serve our neighbor? Well, it's because we understand that the foundation and one of the underlying principles of discipleship, we're going to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Why? Well, <laughs> because we know that it brings life. It brings life. Thanks be to God. Amen.